Well, it's a great joy to have Pastor Willie and Lydia Crew uh, with us from World Mission Center. God's hand is upon their lives and is using them to spread the gospel in an amazing way. So can we give Pastor Willie a warm hand of welcome as he comes to minister? Welcome. Good morning. It's wonderful to be with you here in uh, Choose Life. Lydia and I, uh, we really do see this as our home church. We've backslidden down to Parle, and we feel very sorry for you guys. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's just great to be back. I, I always say this when I get here, and it's honestly from my heart. You're, you are so privileged to be in a church where there's just such God-honoring worship. Um, praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I am uh, I'm privileged to have my wife Lydia with me. She doesn't always travel with, but she, she is this morning. And, uh, and then to have our grandkids that John has introduced to you. Um, young Matthew, come here for a minute. I, I'll... I gave him the microphone once in a conference, and I'll never do it now. <laughs> I'd have fighted him away. This, this young man, some of you know, because some of you have been, you know, we've connected over many years. We lived in Pretoria for I don't know how long. And, and um, he was desperately ill when he was not even a year old. He was probably given a couple of months to live. And uh, around the world, there were churches that put up his picture in the church, and people were praying. I, I still have those responses from Kuwait and Singapore and here in Pretoria, everywhere. And God's really touched and healed him. And we just rejoice that uh, he's now 13 years old. And uh, praise God. Thank you. And he has a great sister, and you better come here, otherwise Opa will be in big trouble if I don't tell them that this is Kaylee. And John, I'm going to take your kids on holiday sometime and feed them Red Bull and sweets. And <laughs> yeah, this is young Kaylee. She's, a, she's just the joy of our lives. And so we just thank They live in America. Thank you, Kaylee. They live in America. And uh, their parents are busy ministering out in Shoshaguve today. So uh, anyways, and then we have Alison with us that's given up her family for the weekend. She's been helping us through board meetings and meetings with East Africa and whatever else this weekend, and she'll be flying home just now. So we appreciate that very, very much. Um, I run an organization called the World Mission Center, and one of the programs that we run probably most, that we do mostly now, is called the Live School. I don't want to get into details on that. You can go on the website, www.worldmissioncenter.com, or you can check it out there. But... Um, this live school, we started, I mean, World Mission Center is a South African organization. We started in Pretoria. Our headquarters used to be down opposite the Union buildings at one stage. And, and uh, today, the World Mission Center is actually spread out in different parts of the world. We're expanding uh, at quite a remarkable rate. You can see on the map there, uh, Lucy, you'll maybe appreciate that because Kevin was very much involved. We're now in 71 countries. We'll probably in the few, few, next few months be in about 75 countries of the world. Uh, over a thousand live schools running, training a lot of people to go reach churches and plant churches among unreached people groups 
in many parts of the world. After the first service, somebody came to me and he said, I live in one of those restricted countries and, and if ever you need my help, let me know. And he gave me his phone number and whatever. And maybe one of you are in one of those restricted countries or you know, and we could honestly sometimes use a contact like that just to transfer stuff or get stuff there or a message out there, etc. Let me know if you don't mind. Uh, this live school is translated into 10 different languages. You can read them there. English, Farsi, that's the language of Iran. By the way, there's a huge revival going on in Iran. Over a million people born again. Fantastic situation. Uh, Turkey, Spanish. We've just launched the Spanish version a little while ago. And we're busy heading into, into the Spanish world. Russian, Korean, Portuguese, French, Swahili, Arabic. And uh, I tell you what. Thousands of churches being established. Tens of thousands of people being reached with the gospel. Not by us, but by members of churches like yourself that are being equipped by their pastors and being sent out to go and do what, what you can do. You know you can do it. Amen. And uh, so, anyways, we'll be translating into, we're busy translating into Hindi, uh, which we'll be using in the north of India. And Lord willing, that the launch of that will take place in, in Delhi in September. So pray for us as we head towards trying to complete this project. It's a huge project. I would think it's probably at least one of the top three biggest translation projects in the world outside of Bible translation in the Christian situation. Because it's 242 hours of video that has to be translated. It's like 120 movies that have to be translated, okay? And the Lord willing, we'll start with Mandarin next year so we can get into the whole Chinese trying to help those churches as well. This morning, I, I want to speak to you, though, on something that I call New Day. And I want to draw a parallel between one of the greatest events that ever happened in history and what I believe could be just as great an event, if not greater, today. And the event that I want to draw your attention to, uh, we actually uh, find in, in uh, the book of Acts, and I'm going to read from that in a moment, and just, just share that with you and, and bring it back into where we are now. Uh, but just as a proposition this morning, to say to you, there is a huge harvest in the earth today. It's not like it's going to happen. It's not like, you know, one day something will take place. It is out there already, and it is very, very interesting and uplifting when you understand it. Um, but I dare to say that this harvest that is around the world will be gathered in chaos. It will not be something that will happen just with all the hallelujahs around us. As you know, the world is erupting in all kinds of chaotic situations. And, and as Christians, I want to say this to you almost prophetically this morning. When you see chaos, don't draw back. When you see chaos, look for the harvest. Because it's in that harvest, in the chaos, that there is the presence of God. And one day I'll come and share with you about that because I think it's very important to understand that. The book of Acts chapter 2 says the following. It says in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You know what? 
One thing I really appreciate of being coming to Church Life is you you acknowledge and give room for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, John. That's really important. Because there are many places where, where we wonder even if we should draw any attention to the Spirit of God. And how in the world can we do the purposes of God without the Spirit of God? Does that make sense? And so here they were, just... Uh, they were speaking in other tongues as the Lord enabled them. And then at the, at, in verse 36, 37, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you have crucified. This is Peter preaching, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And in verse 41 it says, And those who accepted his message were baptized. <laughs> And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Quite a fascinating story. What happened in Jerusalem in this picture that we see here? That's the thing I want to speak to you about for a moment. What happened there? It was, a, it was an incredible moment in the history of mankind. But let me just take you to the disciples first. And maybe you'll put yourself in some of this category. The disciples were on an emotional roller coaster. They'd walked with Jesus. They found out as they went that this is the Messiah. I mean, he's about to do something. He's about to establish his kingdom. This is going to be an amazing situation. And I'm sure they were like, I mean, they even asked the question, you know, who'd be greatest in the kingdom, etc. And suddenly Jesus gets killed on a cross. And they're so disillusioned. Peter even says, look, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I've come from. Don't you ever say that. Don't ever turn back from where you used to be. Does that make sense? Because that's not where God wants you. He wants you square in the purposes of God. And even if life is throwing you a curveball, it doesn't matter. Because in that curveball, the purpose of God may manifest in a way that you never, ever thought in your life before. They were on this emotional roller coaster. Suddenly Jesus rises from the dead. Man, the Messiah has come back. He's really going to establish the kingdom. And they are in their spirits, I'm sure, flying. And the next moment Jesus is speaking to them, giving them the great commission. And in verse 9 of Acts chapter 1, it says, And there Jesus is taken up before their very eyes, and, and a cloud hides them. And these guys are so disillusioned. They are staring into the sky, and, and so much so that an angel had to come to them and say, Hey guys, stop staring in the sky. The way Jesus went, he'll come back again. And it's like he's saying to them, Get on with what, I, what Jesus has told you to do. But they were on this emotional roller coaster. One moment it was great, the next moment it was a problem, and, and uh, etc. Then we find them in the upper room. The upper room looks like a spiritual place, it wasn't. It was a place where they were eating, meeting, meeting etc. And there in the upper room, I think the door was locked. I'm reading into the scripture when I say that. But I think the door was locked. They were intimidated. Sometimes like we are in the, in, in the church world, you know, in the Christian world. When we go out there to go and mix it with people and minister to people, etc. But they were intimidated. Why? Because at the Feast of Passover... People came from all towns and cities, and it was a very spiritual time in Jerusalem. And those people that had come all approved and agreed to Jesus' crucifixion. Now it was the Feast of Passover, a couple of weeks later. And I think these disciples were scared. They were like, oh my goodness, if those guys see us, if they recognize us, we're going to get nailed this time around. So they're hiding, I think. 
And suddenly the scripture says, a mighty wind comes into that room. A, a major thing happens where the disciples are. And inside the room, there are tongues of fire. And the scripture says the tongues of fire come in, separate, and settle on everybody's head in the room. And on the outside, there is such a commotion that almost all of Jerusalem or many thousands in Jerusalem are running to this building to find out what happened. And guess what? When the disciples realize what happens, they open the door. And when they open the door, outside are thousands of people. And the first guy, and I'm again reading into the scripture, but I think so. The first guy, Chicken Peter, steps out. The one that, the one that had denied Jesus. He steps out there and he preaches a sermon like he wants to get himself killed. This Jesus... Whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Messiah. It's like, hey guys, do you remember a couple of weeks ago? Come on, let's go. But you know what? The Spirit of God had come. There was something that had taken place. And he begins to preach like, like you couldn't believe. And as we read just now, 3,000 people come to the Lord. What happened there? It was a huge manifestation of the Holy Spirit. In a very real sense, it was a culmination of something that God the Father was busy doing when He sent His only Son, had His Son walk on the earth, and eventually had Him in the situation where He's crucified, rises again. What was all that about? It was this manifestation that needed to come and the manifestation was a shift in the heavenly realm. And what did that shift create? That shift created the birthing of the church. That was the start of where we are today. Does that make sense? And it's never stopped since then. It was Jesus that said, I will build my church. By the way, he never told us to do that. He said to us, preach the kingdom. And I will build my church. And so here we see the birthing of the church. The shifting in the heavenly realm. And suddenly God's purpose begins to roll out around the world. And we're not talking about history this morning. But I dare to say to you this morning, that's the picture I, want, I referred to in the beginning. But today, we see another shift in the heavenlies. Today, we're seeing something happen in the Spirit. And what's happening is fascinating. It is amazing. And we've got to be careful that we don't find ourselves in the position where the disciples are in the upper room, locked up in our four walls, when in actual fact God's saying, you've got to see what I'm doing. You've got to get in tune with what I'm doing. Because when you follow me and when you're doing what I am doing, when you join me in what I'm doing, you will be blessed, amazed, etc. What is the shifting in the, in the spiritual realm today? I believe with my whole heart it's the birthing of the end time harvest. We could talk about that all morning. It's all over scripture. But Jesus even speaks about that. He says that the angels will be the harvesters. You know what that means? That means that God is going to do it and inviting us to join Him. He's not saying to us, go push and pull and make it happen. It's like God's going to do it. 
You and I have this opportunity. Can we, will we join him in this process of this end time harvest? This end time harvest, the proportions of it is absolutely incredible, big. I don't think we can get our heads around it. We have put God in too many little boxes to be able to understand it. But may the Spirit of God help us to hear what he is saying. The book of Habakkuk says the following. It says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your day that if you were told that you would not believe it. And I would say to you, whenever I get discouraged, and I do, whenever I get discouraged, I'm, I'm like, I want to go look at what God's doing. I go and look at the nations and I'm like, God, you never slumber or sleep. You've said you're going to make this happen. It's going to happen. I mean, it's just, that's just the way it is, right? What's happening in the earth today? And here, John's given me permission to stay here until 3 o'clock this afternoon. So, <laughs> tough for the roast beef and unbelief. <laughs> I could tell you many stories. I, I, I have so many of them. You know, I was, I was in, in, the, in Russia just, just a couple of weeks ago. And, and I mean, I get there. And, and I'm speaking to one of the most senior leaders in Russia. And he's telling me, we have 49 year of your life teams. I'm like, my goodness, this is in the denomination. We have 49 year of your life teams. They've been going now for five years. Every year, a new team. The team leaders kind of stay together. And I'm like, yeah, what are, what are they doing? I mean, this is a country that the other day, just a few, or well, probably a couple of months ago, had closed the doors to sharing the gospel. These 49 teams in the last five years have actually gone and knocked the doors in 21,000 villages. I'm like, God, come on. I'm sure we can at least do something like that. You know, when I see people like that, I see the magnanimous spirit, just this, this of, you know, we, we understand God's big man, but God wants to do huge things. I'm speaking to a pastor in West Africa, and he's saying to me, Willie, we believe in God to plant 4,000 churches by 2020. I'm like, Pastor, I understand church planting. I don't know much sure about that. How in the world are you going to make that happen? He says, we have 4,000 churches. So I say, okay. So in other words, you're saying plant one for every one. That, that. He says, yeah, exactly. But their spirit is like, we're not backing down. Every village, every town, every place needs to have a presence of God. It's in the back streets where it's happening. It's in the small places where it's happening. It's with individuals that you can hardly believe. I sat in, the, in, in a very close situation some time ago, and I sat listening to this one lady. She, she works as a servant in somebody's room, in somebody's house. And friends come and visit, you know, from, from one home to the other. Very senior, significant people. Friends come to visit, and they keep watching the servant. And one day, the visitor says to the owner of the house, can we have the servant? Yeah, sure, commodity, you can have her. Get another one next week. And so she goes to their home. When she gets to the other side, the husband and wife sit her down and say to her, we want you to teach our children to live like you live. She says, I cannot do that. Why? I'd have to teach them the Bible. 
I'll have to tell them about Jesus. And in this context, I'm not allowed to. And they look at her and they say, that's exactly why you are here. And I'm like, God, you opened the door of one of the most incredible leaders in their context, in that nation, for somebody to do that. I think of one of those servant ladies. She's been watching her, 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 the person, that the lady that she's working. This lady is as sick as you can't get. She's gone to all kinds of places, Europe and Singapore and America, to try and get medical help. And, and there's no medical help. It's the end of it. I mean, she's come back very disillusioned, very sick. And, and this, the servant says, ma'am, now she's taking her life in her own hands. And she's like, ma'am, can I pray for you? In the name of Jesus. In the context of that religion, that's crazy. And the lady says, I'm so desperate. Do whatever you need to do. She lays hands on her, prays in the name of Jesus. And when her husband comes home, she's healed. <laughs> Let me just say to you, on my way to Buenos Aires, fascinating story, can't tell you now, but I mean, we have, in, in two weeks' time, two, three weeks' time, we have, Buenos is about 20, 20 million people in the greater Buenos Aires. We have 20, what do they call them, pastors fraternals coming together to hear how they can train their people to become part of the harvest force. Unbelievable. And I could, I could spend the morning telling you, I really, literally could spent a long time. But I want to say to you, out there in the earth, there's just things happening. God is doing it. There's more happening in the back streets than in the main churches. I say this to mission organizations around the world, and I'm connected pretty well with them. I say to them, the church is doing more than what you are, can imagine to do. And some of them are just these small little Mickey Mouse churches that are amazing to say I want to say this to you this morning. The greatest day of the church is not yesterday. The greatest day of the church is not in our history. It's not all the, it's not all the uh, revivals that have taken place. Yes, we can take courage by that. But the greatest day of the church is now. I'm telling you, we've not had this opportunity before to just be, I mean, can you know how blessed we are in all the millions of people that have come and gone, you know, died again, died in the process, and here we are in this moment when God's busy gathering the end time harvest. What a blessing. What lessons can we learn? What lessons can we learn about what happened in Jerusalem? Because I think they are relevant to us today. The first thing I want to say is when those disciples opened that door and walked out into the, into the open where the thousands were, they emerged from an old culture. Something happened in their spirit. Something happened in where they were at. They were not the same people again. It was like we were chicken, we were scared, we were emotional, we were, you know, and suddenly they walk out there and they're walking out like we are agents of the kingdom. I want to tell you, in this shift that is taking place around the world, and it's very very real. In the shift that is taking place around the world, you and I need to emerge from the old culture that we live in. We need to emerge from that and understand we are agents of the kingdom. When we walk into the city, 
This is my father's property. When I walk into the school where I go to school or university or where I teach or where I, whatever I do out there, when I walk, I'm an agent of the kingdom. Don't be surprised when people come to you and say, could you share with me what's going on in your life? Some of our team members just, just a while ago in Cuba, I mean, they're standing on the street. They don't even look like, you know, they look like a bunch of tourists. They don't have Bibles with them, whatever. They're just standing on the street. Then, and in, in a question of about four hours, 15 people came to them and said, tell us about Jesus. They led 15 to the Lord. I was there. I was speaking to the leadership. We don't know what to do. I mean, that, that country is actually asking us, really, could we put 500 schools into Cuba? And I'm like, Lord, I thought this was closed. I thought this wasn't happening. You know? I thought this was, no, it's not that. It's like, just, you got to understand, God. I have an old friend here in, in Pretoria. Lazarus Salatle is his name. He always said to me, Willie, he says, God is God. He can do just what he wants to. <laughs> they were transformed in that room. I pray to God that as you come to church, as you gather together, even in your emotional whatever, sometimes happy, sometimes as you gather together, that you will be transformed in this birthing of the end time harvest. And you're like, I'm not going to stand on the sideline. I'm going to be a part of what God's doing. Listen to me. They were not part of, an, of a program. They were not part of a to-do list. They were not part of a plan. You know, and if you know me, you understand. I understand planning. I want to know exactly what's happening, when it's happening, how it's happening. And every time I get out there, the Lord's blowing my comfort zone. And I can tell you, our to-do lists are just too small for what God's trying to do. But they were also a remnant I, I, I need to say that to you very carefully. There were 500 that Jesus appeared to. You know that in Scripture. Only 120 were in the upper room. There were only part of them that were in the upper room. And I want to say over church history, as I've looked at it, God always uses a remnant. And you know what? A remnant has the choice whether they want to be used by God or not. Whether they want to resist the move of the Spirit or not, whether they will abandon themselves, risk the fact that they may lose everything. If I look at the roots of this church, Pastor Ed Raybert, way back in the Baptist little church and whatever, I mean, that was a risk. He could have lost his job. But when God came to the Hatfield Church with 50 members, if you don't know the history, you should check it. But when God came to that church with 50 members, when the Holy Spirit came, it grew. Next step, 350. Next step, 800. Next step, 3,000 in a tent. Next step, 6,000 in the building. No man could have organized that. No one could have imagined. I was on that team. I'm telling you what I know, what I know. It wasn't like we were sitting in a room saying, okay, guys, let's go from 3,000. How do we get to 6,000? It just didn't happen like that. It was just God. And actually, oftentimes, I would say, Pastor Ed, what are you, what's happening here? He says, I haven't got a clue. 
I don't know. It's just God. And it was just God. And I want to say to you, choose life. Listen, this is my word to you this morning. I want you to understand you actually are a remnant. Some of you will understand that statement and some not, but that's okay. But I want to say, you actually are a remnant. And God wants to use you. When God uses a remnant, he transforms nations with him. Come on. When, it's true. When God used the John Wesley, he transformed nations. When, what, I could go to all kinds of history. When, when that happens, God changes nations through remnants. They were a remnant. They started the church. And amazing things happened from there until today. We are writing the book of Acts. I'm not sure what chapter you are in, but you're somewhere in a chapter of the book of Acts because there's no end to it. There will be no end to it until Jesus returns. Let me tell you something else quickly there is that the harvest was thrust onto them. They didn't expect it. I'm, I'm convinced they didn't expect it. Here they walk out there and suddenly they're... There are thousands of people and they're preaching and the people are responding. What must, I, what must we do to get saved? And, and the Bible says, and 3,000 were baptized. I had the privilege years ago in the Hatfield Church that we were still in Anderson Street. I had the privilege of baptizing with Pastor Cornei van Nikat. We baptized 120 people one evening. Manek was yiltemal much at the end of that, you know. Eventually, when the guy gets into the baptismal pond, you want to just almost kick his legs out under him. <laughs> just get, get down there. <laughs> but, and I'm wondering, how did these guys baptize 3,000? This wasn't put up your hand, fill in a card. This was people making a significant commitment. The harvest was thrust on them. The one moment they were 120, even let's just call it all 500. The next moment, one moment they were 500. The next moment there were 3,000. If you read a little later into the book of Acts, it says, and the church grew to 5,000 men. Cultural statement. There were probably 20,000 men, women, and children. One moment they were like, oh, you're on a sickle and we're struggling and we're, you know, etc. And the next moment, it's just pure. Do you understand that in this last harvest, it will be pure God? The Lord makes some statements in Scripture that I struggle with. One of them is, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And I'm like, how in the world will that happen? Well, it doesn't matter how it will happen. The fact is, it will happen. And in our understanding, in our thinking, we sometimes think of one person has to come to the Lord and one has to, and yes, absolutely, there's nothing wrong with that. Please keep doing that as much as you can. Lead one more and one more to the Lord. But in our understanding, in our missions understanding, in our church mission understanding, God's not just talking about individuals. He's talking about communities. He's talking about nations coming to the Lord. I told the story, I better tell it here in this service. Just in India, one of the leaders out of the Hindu, Hindu uh, religion came to one of the Christian leaders there and he said to the Christian leader, he says, me and my people want to become Christian. The reason was easy. 
The reason was they're at the lowest cost of India, and they were sick and tired that religion was putting them in the in, in among the dung and the whatever else. They wanted out of the religion, so we want to become Christian. This guy caught the fright of food. He didn't catch the fright of his life at the beginning. He says, praise God, come, let's talk about it. And he says, no, sir, you don't understand. We are 100,000. Listen, that's happening today. It's not just this one story. It's happening today where communities are coming, where we have to change our understanding of mission. We have to change our understanding of church. Now we are we're actually discipling from the other side. Okay, come to Jesus now. Let's talk to you about how you how, how do you live. You say, no, my theology doesn't work like that. Well, I'm telling you what, you're going to get rattled in the future. The harvest is thrust on us. The harvest will be thrust on us. You cannot build a building big enough for what God's doing. So you can just as well decide, we've got a building. We will, we will train and we will equip and send you out to go and do what God's told you to do. And you'll multiply out there so many times over that eventually everybody's like, okay, well, anyways, praise God, it's wonderful. The change was rapid. I want you to hear that. The change happened like that. It wasn't like it took years or whatever. It was rapid. When the church was birthed, it happened. I want to say to you, this end time harvest that is birthed is growing so fast. We don't see it sometimes. You know, at 1900, there were 8.7 million Christians in Africa, south of the Sahara. That's 117 years ago. Today, there are over 390 million Christians in Africa. It's huge. It's unbelievable what's happening. Rapid change that is taking place. I want you to hear this. The next point is that when the Holy Spirit fell, when those tongues of fire came, it touched every single one of them in the room. And I close with that this morning to say to you, you know what? You're not excluded. I don't care how young, how old you are. You're just not excluded. The decision is yours and mine. Will I join the Lord or just continue living like I always have? And I want to tell you, it's a new day. It's a day of great opportunity. It's a day where our spirits will be revived. Every morning we get up, we'll be like, Holy Spirit, what do we do now? <laughs> you know, how do we deal with this now? It's those, those days are coming when the pastors in the church will have to say, would you please take 50 people and disciple them? And would you take another 50? And would you take 100, sir? And, and you're like, me? Yeah, absolutely you. <coughs> the Word of God is in your spirit. Are you hearing me? You, you haven't sat here for nothing. You haven't heard John preach a good sermon. Does that make sense? It's the, the word of God impacted your spirit. I, I'll close with this, John. We, we were up in Zambia once and I had, I, had, I had 16 people and the Zambians thought I had 34 and so they arranged 34 appointments for us that we had to speak at and, and it was like, okay, we're in big trouble. And so I put the 16 guys, 16 people into a room. I told them the previous night, I said, if you've never preached, you're going to preach tomorrow. <laughs> no way, we're not going to do that. I said, doesn't that just join us? And, and so we got, now we're driving down the streets of Zambia. And I'm saying, as we stop, my friend Clayton says, 
This is the radio station. Sir, you're speaking at the radio station. Goodbye. Uh, uh, you're speaking at the, at the television station. You're busy with a women's meeting. I mean, and the guys were like freaking out. I mean, they were like, forget it. There's no way. And you know what? We got back that evening and we got, got into that room and those 16 people that were thrust into nowhere, as it were, you know, they, I said, so what happened? You couldn't stop them talking. And the best description of that evening was one person. He said, I said everything I've ever heard my pastor say. <laughs> and I'm saying, come on, isn't that true? Everything that you've heard, everything that you've read, everything that's in your spirit, God brings to remembrance in this last day, in this harvest. He comes and he says, I want to use you. May you be encouraged. And thank you. Let's give Pastor William.